Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 48. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. If you've forgotten the dulcet tones of our voice, well, good news, we're back. A mere, what, day-ish? <laughs> After we recorded our last episode? Yeah, like, probably 36 hours. Or a bit bit less than that, but yeah, something like that. Um, So we are here because the Leafs have made a trade. And they've made a trade for a defenseman. We're going to talk about that. We don't really have any plan. We don't know how long this is going to go. We don't even know our thoughts, really. We're going to find out how we feel about this trade as it's being recorded. So you're going on a journey of the mind and emotions with us right now. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so the Leafs traded for Jake Muzzin of the LA Kings, and they traded their 2019 first-round pick, Sean Dursey, and Carl Grundstrom. So... Uh, Let's first just talk about the things we gave up, because that's going to take less time than we can just go really in-depth on Muzzin. Mm -hmm. um, a first-round pick is a first-round pick. It's useful. Uh, it has probably more name value than anything, especially given where the Leafs were going to pick. Uh, it seemed very likely that this is going to be from 25 onwards. So I'm not too worried about it. Most draft pick value charts have shown that after 20 or so, the marginal difference between picks is, is really quite minimal. So the pick is whatever. Um, Sean Dursey was a player we selected last year in the in the draft, and I believe he was an overager. I'd have to check this. Yes, he was. It was the second yeah, time so, eligible for the draft. Yes, um, but he's been killing it uh, in in the OHL, I believe. Mm -hmm. He's been having. He's better than point a game this season as a defenseman. Yeah, which which is which is impressive. Um, I am not going to pretend to know a lot about him. His numbers look nice but he's, you know, an overage player. Or sorry, he's an older player in junior, so they should look really nice. Uh, Kevin has said that he likes him, but his foot speed is a little bit of a concern. It, it's hard to see where he projects. I'm guessing you're kind of similar because neither of us really follow the OHL at all. Yeah, I mean, I like the outline of Jersey from what little I know about him. And, you know, he did grow up a Leafs fan, so there's some sentimental pangs there giving him up. He was happy to get drafted by Toronto. Although, that said, I'm sure he was happy to get drafted, period, after being passed over once. And, you know, being point a game as a defenseman, even as a 20-year-old in uh, Major Junior was not nothing. Uh, you know, he's impressive. He moves the puck well by all accounts. But he's not an A prospect by any means. I, I you know, he could become anything. Uh, the median result is probably not that he's an NHLer, but that's true of most prospects. You just don't know. Uh, if I'm the LA Kings, I'm certainly acquiring a lot of guys like Sean Dursey when I can, because a certain percentage of them are going to pay out as NHL players. So who knows? Yeah, exactly. And then lastly, we gave up Carl Grundstrom, who, um, I mean, if the comparisons are to be believed, he's basically Wayne Simmons, and Wayne <laughs> Simmons is going for like a first, a prospect, and a player. So I think we might have sold low on him. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a reference to... An insane comparison that we got in last year's top 25 under 25, where we said he's actually like a pretty nice, interesting power forward prospect. And someone said, you've missed the obvious comparable here, which is Wayne Simmons. And of course, Wayne Simmons was a routine 30 goal scorer for several years in his 20s. That's pretty optimistic on the projections, let's say. Carl Grundstrom is an interesting player, though. He's, uh, as I said, a power forward. He's not, you know, tall or anything. He's built kind of like a bowling ball. Even if you if you bring him up, his face has like a really square jaw. That's always stood out to me about him. But he goes to the dirty areas. He can keep his hands on his stick while he does so and put the puck in the net. I think he's probably going to be an NHL player of some description. I think that's more likely than not. 
And in dealing him, the Leafs are dealing from near the top of a pretty thin forward prospect group. Like, the Leafs graduated pretty much all of their good prospects at forward. Um, so there isn't, like, a lot left in the AHL that's dazzling. And their best prospects now are a couple of defensemen in Sandin and Liljegren. But Grundstrom is something. Again, he's the kind of, uh, of player that LA should be kind of acquiring because he might turn into something. And I think, uh, I think he's going to get NHL games played in his career. That said, he's not like an ace prospect. I don't know if I project him to be any kind of difference maker. And the people who watch more, or at least Kevin, as we mentioned, uh, are saying similar things. He's just not sure if, uh, if the full game is there at a level where he's going to be like a really meaningful NHL contributor, even though he can put up goals at the AHL level and for all we know, a few at the NHL level. Yeah, I, I think that summarizes it well. It just probably going to be an NHLer, unsure of how far above replacement level he's going to be. One thing I'll note is that he is a left winger and the Leafs are, are short on left wing, both at the NHL level and through their prospects. Mm-hmm. That said, um, you know, finding depth wingers is typically not that difficult. Unless you're Peter Chiarelli. Um, <laughs> and then mysteriously, we, it's very hard. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then it's just like randomly impossible to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, luckily we're not in that situation. So um, I think, yeah, that's pretty much everything on the Leafs side of it in terms of what they gave up. Um, now let's talk about Jake Muzzin. Yeah. So Jake Muzzin is almost kind of a dream date for every component of the Leafs fan base. So he's big. He can play physically. I wouldn't say that he's like a really bruising defenseman. He can throw a hit if you feel so inclined. You can look up his highlights and he's throwing the shoulder. Um, And, you know, he's 6'3", so he's certainly up to that. But he's also notable for having had a career of being a quite good fancy stat defenseman. Uh, Putting up really impressive shot differentials on the LA Kings, who, to be fair all put up really impressive shot differentials for a while there. And now the LA Kings have declined in that respect, and so has Jake Muzzin. Although he is still the best Corsi defenseman on the Kings this year. Um, better than everyone else that he's played with. Um, yes, and if you look at um, his context-neutral stats, I mentioned this uh, on the previous podcast, and I think on every podcast since it's come out, because I find these very, very useful. So there's a couple that I generally refer to. Uh, one is called Isolated Threat, which is a metric devised by Micah McCurdy of HockeyViz. One is called RIPM, which is a metric devised by Evolving Wild. I'm not going to get into the math of how they work, but they they purport to do roughly the same things, and most of the times they agree. Sometimes they don't, and that those situations confuse me. With respect to Muzzin, they generally agree that he is an above-average NHL defenseman at driving play. Mm-hmm. Um, in his earlier days, he was borderline elite at it or perhaps even one of the best in the league at it um but a lot of that was driven by a really strong 2015-2016 season which is now you know three and a half years ago since then he has been a good player uh, above average but not absolutely absurd and destroying the league the way someone like i don't know hampus Lindholm would yeah right so that is still quite valuable especially for the leafs um one thing we should note is that Muzzin is a left-sided defenseman, but he can play the right side. This year, he has been playing the left side, but he's played the right side in the past. And the biggest advantage for the Leafs in moving him to the right side is that he's now just placing a far worse defenseman. Yeah, by most accounts, everyone expects it's going to be Ron Hainsey. And I, that's the logical thing to do. 
Um, whatever you think about Nikita Zaitsev, he and Jake Gardner were, I'm going to say, stabilizing a little bit, at least in terms of shot differential. I'm not saying that by any means Nikita Zaitsev, <laughs> Zaitsev, wow, <laughs> Nikita Zaitsev, whose name I can totally say with my lips, uh, I'm not saying he's my dream of a top four defenseman, but I don't think that he's kind of the glaring problem, whereas at this point, Ron Hainsey is a PK specialist, and I think once he drops down to the third pairing, where I assume he's going to be playing alongside Travis Dermott, um, he'll probably look a little better just because the strain that we were putting on him at his age was kind of ridiculous in proportion to his abilities. So, yeah, like it's an upgrade at our most obvious area of weakness by far. Exactly. It's like it's such low hanging fruit that, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't need to get Eric Carlson to see pretty large incremental improvements right you get someone who's competent and Muzzin even if you're very pessimistic he is absolutely a competent above average NHL defenseman um you know you, it, it, it as you said it addresses the Leafs biggest and most obvious weakness and interestingly it'll finally give Morgan Morgan Riley a partner who's worth a damn <laughs> yeah pretty much um someone had posted a list of like all of the partners that Morgan... I think it was Dmitry Filipovich. At least I saw him do this on Twitter. Yeah, you know what it was, Dmitry Filipovich. And it was like all of the defense partners that he's had. And uh, why don't I just go down this list for a while? Ron Hainsey is number one. And then Nikita Zaitsev, Jake Gardner. Yay! Matt Hunwick, Roman Polak, Martin Marinson. So, I mean, at that point, Morgan Riley is actually the second guy in the pairing. But, you know, it's right. exceptional. Right, right. Cody Franson, Connor Carrick, Stefan Robidas, Tim Gleason, Dion Phaneuf, Paul Ranger, and Travis Dermott for like a short sample under 100 minutes. That's not exactly a murderer's row for a guy who was always being used in a top four role and sometimes often top pair. He's had a lot of weight to carry. We've said before on this podcast that Morgan Riley's defensive game is not as good as maybe some people think it is, and it certainly is the weaker aspect of his game compared to his genuinely excellent offensive game. But I'm really curious to see him now that he's probably going to get played with a genuinely good defensive defenseman for the first time ever. You know, depending on how you would class Jake Gardner, who I would say is probably still more of an offensive defenseman. Like, this is definitely uncharted territory for him. But Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, generally, I like this trade a lot. I'm pretty happy with it. It certainly makes a lot of sense um, in terms of where the two teams are at. Like, it's the classic buyer-seller trade. The Leafs are in a win-now mode. I don't know what the market was in terms of right-shooting defensemen, but I suspect it was probably steeper than the market for left-shooting defensemen. You know, there were guys like Dougie Hamilton, we obviously discussed, Brett Pesce, uh, guys who are sort of the uh, the options of your dreams who also happen to come from Carolina. But the LA Kings had a guy to sell who wasn't right shooting, so his price was probably a little lower on that basis, and who also are in a pure seller mode. Like, there was a very clear match here between buyer and seller, whereas Carolina probably still thinks that they're in playoff contention. You know, you never know. But... This makes so much sense to me on so many levels. It seems like sort of a duh trade. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying it's easy to do or it doesn't involve work. But it's a very natural fit in every single respect. 
yeah, except we do wish Jake Muzzin shot right, but you can't have everything in this life, right? So, you know. Yeah. Uh, another thing that actually really makes this deal more attractive from my perspective is that Muzzin has a contract for next year. This is not a rental. Mm -hmm. He's making $4 million next year, which is perfectly fair and actually probably a value deal for someone who, again, is an above-average defender. So that that gives the Leafs some options, in a sense. Um, if, as it appears right now, Jake Gardner doesn't come back, mm -hmm. well, now they have another lefty to kind of maintain, at the very least, the same structure they had for the first 40-whatever games of, of this season. Um, but what it also allows them to do is move on from Nikita Zaitsev, I guess, without really worrying about the replacement, right? And I would argue that they should be moving on from Nikita Zaitsev anyways, because I, I don't think it'd be impossible to get a replacement for him. Mm. Um, although, you know, I think this is something that Katya disagrees with me on. Um, and, and she's dived into the usage of the Leafs defenseman much more deeply than I have. So you can very much trust her judgment there. But with Muzzin in the fold, the the Leafs really have nothing tying them to Zaitsev from a from the perspective of, oh, who who else could we possibly get to play those minutes? Because now they have a guy. Yeah, they have a dude who's a legit top four defenseman who can play on the right side if needed. And putting aside the... Uh... Speaking of Catch's article, she also mentioned that this sometimes happens. The Riley-Gardner pairing that we only basically see when the Leafs are trailing late. Um, other than that, that wasn't really happening. Uh, so, you know, going forward, unfortunately, yeah, it does look like this really puts the squeeze against Jake Gardner being resigned. Uh, it's possible the Leafs have been in discussions with his agent, and really it was only going to happen anyway if he was going to take a little money off the top. Um, and I don't know if that was in the cards. I don't know, uh, what his personal feelings are on that matter, but this certainly squeezes the finances quite a bit. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible. Uh, as you said, you probably have to move out Nikita Zaitsev and you have to do a bunch of other things, but it, it makes it a lot less likely in my opinion. And I didn't think it was all that likely before. So uh, it does look like Jake Muzzin is now kind of the transitional figure uh, after Jake Gardner probably goes in the summer. We get one run where we get both of them, the two Jakes. And then after that, we're counting on some combination of Travis Dermott and then our our better defenseman down uh, in the AHL making the leap. So Rasmus Sandin is obviously the great hope there or Timothy Lilligren. That's kind of how I see this gaming out in the next couple of seasons. It, it does avoid what probably would have been the scariest thing for me because if you this summer lose Jake Gardner and then just don't really replace him either one of your prospects takes a quantum leap forward on defense or your defense looks real iffy you know like we would have been in pretty dire straits after Morgan Riley in that circumstance I think so yeah yeah very positive on this deal on the whole from where I'm sitting like it's not that the cost is painless um, I, I especially did like uh, Grunstrom as a prospect, but you do have to give to get a little bit. He's, you know, he's a player with value. He's not a pure rental. So I think that there is, um, you know, a need to be willing to say, okay, we're in a position now where we are willing to deal even some decent prospects. And again, they didn't deal from the top of the pile, which is Sandine. Yeah. Um, a couple other things to note about Muzzin. His... Um... 
his all three zones data, so things like shots, con- shot contributions, zone exit, zone entries, entry defense, are generally pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, above average. And, I mean, I really can't hammer this home enough. The guy he's replacing is a fringe NHL player. Yeah, so far as we can tell, like, look, it's just, it's not happening with Ron Hainsey. It just, it's not, you know. And you can say we need him for the penalty kill, and putting that debate aside for another day, at even strength, it's not happening. It just, is, it just isn't good enough for, uh, for what this team wants. You know, we might have been able to survive it, but it, it was very clearly the bleeding wound on this roster, so... Yeah. Yeah, and especially given the lineups that this team can and likely will face in the playoffs, you know, not not that really any defenseman can stop the Bergeron, uh, Marchand, Pasternak line, but I feel much better about Jake Muzzin neutralizing them than I do about Ron Hainsey. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. Right, and same thing for Tampa Bay's just absolute armada of forwards. Facing Tampa Bay is just like so frightening. And I, I guess this must be kind of what other teams also feel against us, but Tampa Bay is the souped-up version of us in, in this regard. But it's just like you keep playing them. Like, wait, why Why do they still have another elite forward on the ice? And that, <laughs> it's like the entire 60 minutes. Yeah, it's like, you know what? I'm going to go with the nerdiest possible analogy. If you, you know, are facing someone in Pokemon and like you're just grinding down their HP... And then I knew they, this would be a Pokemon reference. You knew it would be a Pokemon reference. And then they heal all the way back up and come at you again. You're like, when's yeah. the rest? You know, like I thought I kind of had them and I was surviving. That's kind of what it feels like facing a team with the depth of Tampa because they're relentless and there's no safe place to hide. At their best, the Leafs are the same thing with those three forward lines all centered by guys who I would say are number are first line centers in the NHL. Um, Kadri is maybe high-end number two at worst. But, yeah, so this gives us something to kind of show against that in a real way. He, he was kind of the dream date in a, in a lot of respects, uh, Jake Muzzin, just because he checks so many boxes for so many people. You know what I mean? Like, if you're an old-timer, you're going to be like, yeah, finally we have a defensive defenseman who is 6'3", who comes from the most famously bruising cup winner since the Boston Bruins. Like, he actually checks all the old school boxes. I have a feeling Mike Babcock is going to like this move. But Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, he, he played for Babcock at the World Cup of Hockey, right? So, I mean, um, Babcock knows him, and I'd be shocked if he wasn't at least asked his opinion, you know, and heavily had, had some input in the type of player he felt Muzzin was during this, during this process. Um, one thing I am sort of interested in, the Kings, I think, traditionally have been... Like in their even in their heyday, they were a cor- a better coursey team than expected goals team. They shot a lot from like kind of bad areas of the ice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Muzzin as a player seems to be more of a driver of shot volume than sh- shot quality. Now, there's a couple ways to look at that. Um, one is that how many defensemen really drive shot quality for? Right, it, it, It's pretty difficult to do. You, you'd imagine that a lot of that goes to the forwards. And while you know, we can adjust for um, teammates to, to some degree, I'm, I, don't, I think we'd be deluding ourselves if we said that adjustment was like, completely perfect and someone's isolated threat or RAPM was a perfect encapsulation of the player they actually are. So you can look at it in the sense that Muzzin can get teams into the offensive zone 
Mm-hmm. And then maybe the Leafs forwards are going to be the, res- the party responsible for driving that puck to the right areas of the ice and to the front of the net and, and so on. And I think that's kind of the optimistic view to take here, where, where you say, I don't think many defensemen can really, you know, consistently generate above average shot quality. Um, so given that, you get a, get a guy who can move you to the zone and then trust your elite forwards to do that. And the Leafs forwards are great at that, right? Between Marner, Tavares, and Matthews, they have a lot of players who excel at getting a lot of really, really good chances or setting them up for, the, for teammates. So I think that's going to be really, really interesting to watch from, I guess, a kind of stats point of view. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to see how that how that shakes out. Um, one Another thing I want to point out, and Kevin pointed this out to me, is that uh, Muzzin draws like almost no penalties. Very few defensemen do. Mm-hmm. But in that sense, he'll fit right in with the Leafs, who also <laughs> don't draw very many penalties. Yeah, our eventual goal is just to always play it in five-on-five five forever. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I just, I'm pretty happy with this, by and large. I talked uh, a couple weeks back about, like, I would like Dougie Hamilton. I would still like Dougie Hamilton. If someone could bring me <laughs> Dougie Hamilton, I would think that that's terrific. But, you know, that's like the gold star, everything has to line up for you kind of acquisition, I think. Of the acquisitions that seemed reasonable, uh, I think that this really hits the sweet spot. You know, I'm trying to think who I would have preferred in this price bracket in terms of what we gave up, in terms of what we're getting back. Um, not really anyone. Radko Gudis, God help me, has always appealed to me on some level, but I don't think he's uh, he's as good as Jake Muzzin. Um, he's also suspended like 15 games a year. <laughs> and um, so I, I, do, uh, I do think that this is a, this is a good move. Uh, by and large, I think, you know, Kyle Dubas saw his opening and he took it. So this is uh, really his first major trade. <laughs> so is it? Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, because, you know, he's, he's had the, the famous signings, uh, you know, of Nylander and Tavares. And then he's had a lot of little trades. Like, yeah, like Lilo. Know, or Connor Carrick, stuff like that. But yeah, uh, yeah this is like... The, the beginning of him really making his tenure. So uh, at first blush, I mean, I'm definitely pretty happy with it. It is possible that we here in Statsland are a little in love with Muzzin because we for so many years, he was a very, very good Corsi player. And I remember back when I was still pretty new to advanced stats and I kind of took Corsi as the be-all and the end-all, like he was a god at it. So that maybe has stayed with me. But even now, as you say, in the present tense, he's still an above-average defenseman who can play on the right side, which is definitely something that we could use more of. Yeah, and I'm not sure if we mentioned this, but he's 29 now. So he's 20. we're getting him for 29 and 30 seasons, age 29, age 30 seasons. Um, so, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, age is not a huge factor in this. He's probably going to be roughly what he is now over the next two seasons. Yeah, I, I'm not, like, you know, expecting a, a terrible decline, which will make it only the more disappointing when it happens. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think we have a reasonable expectation here, and this is sort of the ideal move for a team that thinks it's in a winning position now, but that also um, doesn't want to just go on for rentals. I mean, I'm I'm 
kind of with Kyle Dubas on being down on rentals as a concept, just because I'm starting to wonder more and more how many wins any one year going to get is really going to add. Like, you know, maybe if you're picking up Mark Stone or something like that, but by and large. So, so I do like the, the rental plus one structure of the deal there. Um, it, it feels like a, a good fit for us. And it also gives us more time to kind of see what we have coming in these defensemen so that hopefully by the time his next deal comes, which this is getting way ahead of ourselves, I'm probably not going to want to sign. Um, we, can, uh, we can consider where we are in terms of uh, the pipeline. And hopefully Rasmus Sandin or Timothy Lowell, you're going to ready to step up. Yeah, I mean, ultimately it comes down to, to needing that. And I, I guess especially now with the Leafs having, uh, being down a pick, mm-hmm. less less bites at the apple, uh, you know, the apple of getting good NHL cost-controlled players. Um, th- that metaphor really died on me halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, it's going to be important that the very few projectable players that we have in our farm system become something, whether that is for the Leafs or in the case of someone like Jeremy Baraka, who has his path kind of blocked by three better right wingers, Mm -hmm. maybe through a trade. Yeah. Uh, I mean, now now that said, (laughs) if we were actually to deal Bracco, like our, our forward prospects would like really have evaporated. Like the next guy won't have any to speak of. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying Grunstrom was the be all and the end all, but you could make a pretty plausible argument. He was the best of the bunch. And, you know, the next guy up after him is like, I don't know, Mac Hollowell. Like, um, if you take Bracco out of the equation, so... In, ter- in terms of forwards? Yeah. Wait, Hollowell's a forward? No, Hollowell's not a forward. Sorry, I'm mixing him up with um, with Raleigh Stotts. Anyway. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Wow, I'm sorry. I have or, Jake or, Muzzin on the board. Or I guess maybe, you know, you could argue for Pierre Engvall, as our friend Not Norm certainly would. Yeah, and I mean, Pierre Engvall, if you look at his production, I think... There's a lot of interesting things there from what I've been told about Pierre Engvall, but I, I mean he's a faint hope. Let's be real. All oh of yeah, yeah. I mean all hopes. of these all of these guys are. Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess one last thing before we go, I think we'll keep this relatively short, around thirty minutes. Um, do you foresee the Leafs making another move? Um, I I mean I think the possibility is there, so I don't want to be absolutist about it i'm gonna go and say it's more likely than not in my opinion that they don't make another big move like i think muzzin is the biggest name coming our way for the simple reason that one kyle dubas has said he doesn't really like rentals and two if we don't get rentals our cap situation for next season really gets kind of tight you know what i mean so anyone meaningful we're acquiring if they have salary for next season is going to put the squeeze on us in a whole other way when we still have to have Matthews and Marner ahead of us. Some people have been speculating that the fact that the Leafs took on salary like this um, indicates they basically know what's going to happen with Matthews. Um, maybe. I'm not sure. I'm sure the lines of communication are open. But either way, taking on more salary for next season is... Uh, probably not something they can do very easily so yeah yeah that that that's probably fair i mean i sort of wonder if i know dubas has said he doesn't want to do rentals i wonder if a guy like nick jensen is is still attractive to him you know we, we mm-hmm. discussed him before he's he's a good player he would between if the leafs got jensen and obviously now they do have muzzin um i think their decor goes from being 
really, really bad to like average. Mm. So, I, I, among playoff teams, I should clarify. Um, so yeah, that would be that'd be cool. I I don't we don't have anything to give up at this point. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's like here's uh, Jeremy Bracco, and that's it. Well, and the, yeah, that's the thing. Like it, it's it's just a couple prospects at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a first round pick anymore. I guess you can trade future first round picks. I don't think the Leafs want to get in the habit of doing that. No. I don't think um, like a roster player like Connor Brown, for example, is not a terribly attractive thing for a team like Detroit to take because it's like, okay, cool. We have this third, fourth line player who is like in his prime now or close to it. How is this helpful to us? Right? Yeah. I guess maybe you could do like a three team deal, but then like that's kind of stretch. That's a lot of effort to go to for a rental. Yeah. Although I will say, I used to say that there were never like three team deals in the NHL. And then like two of them happened within a year. Um, the weird, the, the Duchesne one. And then there was one other one. Which one was that? Well, I don't even know if it ended up being a three team deal by the end of it, but it was like the weird Ryan Reeves transaction thing that involved. Oh yeah. Uh, with ye- like, with like St. Louis, Pittsburgh and Vegas. I think Vegas? it was. No, or but something. I, I, th- I think it was like spread out over like two weeks or something. Like, um, St. Oh, Louis traded, traded Reeves and like got a first round pick out of it somehow to Pittsburgh. And then not long after, like Reeves played a bunch of games in Pittsburgh. Uh, uh yeah, no, it, there was something, some component of it. And at this point, I'm just butchering the memory here, but there was yeah. some component of it where it was originally a three person trade and one guy moved to Vegas and out of Vegas in one transaction initially, and they retained salary on him, and the league got mad because they didn't like that you, they were just retaining salary on a guy who never actually played for them. They viewed that as essentially trading cap space. And so they split oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they split it up into a couple of transactions that did basically the same thing. So It sounds vaguely familiar. This did happen, but I don't remember the, the specifics of it. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're all too high on Jake Muzzin right now, though. To be focused on that. But the reality yeah. is, I do think the Leafs... I mean, now that said, you know, uh, Bourne is saying he thinks that they're going to add another D. They certainly could. Radko Gudas, I've mentioned, is would be maybe my option. But if you're adding someone now, it's like, are you adding someone who is going to displace Nikita Zaitsev? And like, uh, first of all, they have to be good enough to do that. But second of all, they have That's to be hard. good enough in the eyes of Mike Babcock that he's actually going to do that. And I think that that's sort of meaningful. Like, I don't, I just keep thinking, okay, but Mike Babcock is still the coach of this team. And your third pair Corsi star defenseman is probably not going to knock Z out of the top four. Like, I just keep thinking that it would have to be kind of a name. If it's a name and it's not a rental, it costs money. If it costs money for next season, we're less likely to do it. So that's my thinking on why we're probably not going to do it. So, yeah, no, I, 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 (laughs) <laughs> I think that I think that's fair. Um, all right, cool. So, I think that that pretty much covers it. This is obviously much shorter than a usual podcast because we did this on seven minutes notice. <laughs> um, but as always, you can find all of mine and Fuleman's stuff on pensionplanpuppets.com. We have a story already about the Muzzin uh, trade and a roundtable from pretty much all of our writers uh, talking about our thoughts and just our general opinions on on the trade. A lot of great stuff there. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at RV and at AT Thanks for listening. We'll see you uh, next Sunday.